I would have said to Patrima, let's sit down and just cement our roles earlier. I think it would have just saved us a lot of time and a lot of heartache and tears. You know what I mean? Like Patrima said before, it's not that you want to micromanage your partner that you work with. So I think essentially by sitting down and going, what do you think your strengths are? This is what I think my strengths are. How about we just sit down and give you those as responsibilities? And I think because before a lot of the lines were a bit blurred. So when things kind of fell apart or someone didn't do something, having those lines a bit blurred will just amount to a bit of a, but you said you were going to do this, but you said you were going to do that. Whereas now it's like, well, I didn't do that because I know that I was responsible for that. And we've been lucky to still be the best of friends, you know, six years on. But I think just knowing what we've been through and all those ups and downs, I would have said, let's sit down earlier. Do you love your business? You should, right? Well, sometimes we just don't. It's my hope that this, the My Daily Business Coach podcast, helps you regain a little of that lost love by providing tips and tactics, tools, insights, inspiration, all the good stuff to help you actually enjoy running your business. In addition to actionable tips and tactics that you'll be able to execute immediately, you'll also hear from creative small business owners around the world who've been able to sidestep the hustle and build a business that merges their passion with their purpose and provides a profit. I'm your host, Fiona Kalaki, founder of My Daily Business Coach. Let's get going. Hello, and welcome to episode 22 of the My Daily Business Coach podcast. I am the host, Fiona Kalaki, and I'm particularly excited to bring you this episode as it's an interview that I conducted a little while ago with two of the most incredible, down-to-earth, funny and beautiful small business owners that I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. Lorinda and Fatuma Denzako are sisters and they're also the co-founders behind apparel and accessories label Collective Closets. Now their brand was born after they took a family trip to Kenya and they were struck with the idea of combining traditional African patterns and fabrics with contemporary Melbourne design. As you'll hear in this episode, the idea for starting a brand was one thing, actually accomplishing that while still working other jobs, as well as raising small children, was quite another. I absolutely love and adore these women. This is a long episode because we literally could have talked for hours and hours and hours. One thing that I really, really love about them is their absolute honesty. They are so open, so happy to discuss their challenges as well as their wins and how they've learned from both on their small business journey. And on a personal note, Lorinda and Fatuma have just been such a huge supporter of me, both of my business, my daily business coach, but also just a huge support as a mum myself with young children trying to balance the children, their business. There is no such thing as balance, actually, but, you know, just trying to integrate those things. And also they've been such a huge support with various challenges that I have been through in my own life. So I'll never forget that back in 2017, my mum died very suddenly and I met Lorinda and Fatuma for a drink and they'd bought me this beautiful orchid. (laughs) Oh, I'm going to cry now thinking about it. And then they went into detail about their own mother, Stella's passing and the grief that they had travelled through as a family. And we can sometimes forget, I think, that behind businesses are real people, you know, real people who, in addition to tackling everyday, you know, day-to-day stuff that 
every small business owner has to tackle, they are also dealing with all the other stuff that life can bring up and the things that happen in our personal lives. I think sometimes we forget that, especially if a brand seems to be successful or doing well or has lots of followers or things like that. You forget there are real people behind this. And in this episode, you will hear from them on some of the things that they've overcome. You'll also just hear their realness. You know, their sisters, they laugh, they they joke around and they're just fabulous people. And outside of being fabulous and remarkable and strong and sensitive and supportive women, they have also created a brand that is just impossible not to fall in love with. The colour palette, the way that their silhouettes flatter every shape their real, you know, empowerment of women to feel great, not only to look good, but to feel good in their clothing and also their mentality about giving back. It just makes Collective Closets a brand that is impossible to resist. If you haven't seen their stuff, then make sure you check it out straight after listening to this. You can find them at collectiveclosets.com.au or over on Instagram at Collective Closets. So I'll stop talking. We'll get into the interview. I really hope you enjoy my chat with Fatuma and Lorinda Denzako, founders of Collective Closets. All right, welcome. I'm so excited to have Lorinda and Fatuma Denzako on the podcast today. How are you, ladies? Good. Very excited. And thank you so much for making time. We were just chatting before we started that we're all mums. We are recording this after bedtime in the evening during COVID. But speaking of COVID, people would have just heard a little bit about your business in the intro, but how has COVID impacted Collective Closets and your life? It's been a bit of a crazy year. I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, it's been amazing at the same time. But like at the start of COVID, we were like, whoa, I guess this is a wrap. We didn't really know like how it was going to affect like, you know, the economy, the fear. Like it was a very scary disease at the start. And I mean, it still is, but, you know, it was very, my husband's got type 1 diabetes and we went into full lockdown from the minute you know, the government was kind of talking about it. And so at the start, it was really scary. At the start, we kind of just put everything on hold. We shut the store down, which is really sad, but we realised it was really necessary at that time. And then we kind of just thought, wow, what does this mean for us? Which was a really good moment to kind of just take a bit of a breath because we were kind of running at full steam. And it was sad because we thought this was going to be our year. We were like, this 2020 is our year, our collective closets year. But once we took a minute and we understood what the fundamentals were of why we started the business, it was kind of like a good kind of like, why did we start this? How are we, where are we on track? It was actually really nice and refreshing. So we kind of had a few meetings. We decided to, you know, maybe talk about more and connect with our customers a bit more and have that kind of conversation with them. And so from that, we end up starting collective conversations which has been one of the best things that we've done in terms of just connecting with people. You know, one of the things that we've always wanted to do is empower women around us and showcase all this amazing women that we know. And so it kind of went back into our roots and we had the capacity and the time to do it. And then from there, we kind of just literally cracked on with the new collection and we knew the colours were amazing. We really loved what we thought we were going to do and we kind of, did it and it's been a mad rush and it's been super crazy and really busy so you know I think for us we've had lots of highs 
and lots of lows, but we feel really confident and really strong as a brand coming out of, we're not really out of it in Melbourne, but kind of coming out of it. Yeah, I definitely hear you on that. And I think that COVID has made everyone around the world just slow down, no matter, you know, whether they had a business or not had a business, but just sort of reflect on what is important. And I feel like the whole universe is really shaking up the world to be like, let's look at what's important right now. So I think it's fantastic that you're able to have a bit of time to really go back to the roots of the business and why you started and all of that stuff. And Lorinda, you had a baby not that long ago. How old is your son? Oh my goodness, he is just turned 10 months, like two weeks ago. Oh wow. And so what a crazy year as a this is your first child as well, is that right? Yeah, it's been absolute bananas, honestly. Like being at home with a baby, COVID, the whole pandemic, a business that just takes up so much of you. And it's kind of been, yeah, a recipe. At times it felt like a recipe of for disaster. And then other times, like Fatuma have said, we've had kind of moments where we've just taken a deep breath and we're actually able to, to have some highs as well as some pretty crappy lows but oh gosh but yeah definitely the motherhood mix for myself being my first and being in that just yeah not knowing what I'm doing as a mum has been crazy. <laughs> I don't think anyone knows what they're doing. Fatuma you also have a two-year-old so it's not like you're out of the woods completely in that area either. Yeah no but I think that you know you probably know this the older they get the easier it is to work in the times that you can. And they're not so reliant on you where I think that, you know, Lorinda's in a, in a phase where, you know, she's still breastfeeding. There's still a lot of reliance on her and no, no sleeping as well. So, yeah, I'm glad to be out of that stage, to be perfectly honest. Yes, and hats off. And so I know, obviously, a bit of your story. I've had the pleasure of working with Collective Closets as a business and also being friends with you lovely ladies. And I've heard, you know, the people would have just heard a bit more about Collective Closets in the introduction, but for those who don't know what Collective Closets is, which is your business, what is it and how and why did you start this? So, yeah, so Collective Closets is a Melbourne-based clothing label that Patrima and I launched about six years ago, which basically just celebrates our dual heritage as African-Australians and we essentially just bring to life these really beautiful textiles. We grew up watching our mother and our aunties wear And how did we get started? So I'll just be really quick because I could just go on for forever with this question. But essentially, I am married to this amazing Kenyan man who took me over to Kenya to meet his amazing family. And previously to that, Patrima and I were always talking about starting our own clothing label, but we weren't quite sure, I guess, how we're going to navigate or what the story behind the label was going to be. We did know that we wanted the, the label, the clothing, to be a representative of who we are. So when I went over to Kenya, I literally it was like a light bulb moment. I just remember coming back home and talking to Patuma about all the beautiful textiles, in particular like the Maasai Shuka, which is this beautiful check that we use through our winter collections. And yeah, that's how we kind of got started. And then Fatuma and my rest of the family all came over to Kenya. And yeah, and that was what catapulted us to where we are now, I guess. Yeah. And so we'll, of course, be linking to Collective Closet's website and Instagram and everything else in the show notes. But yeah, like you said, it's got that heritage and a lot of African fabrics and just bright, beautiful, amazing colours. So fantastic. But like you've touched on, you are family, your sisters. When you decided to start this business six years ago, I mean, it's similar and not similar, but if you were two separate people coming into a partnership, you would probably have sat down and really you know, discussed certain things about even, you know, the breakdown of like money and who's going to take what and all of that stuff. But when you were working together as sisters, did you sit down and have 
serious discussions about business partnerships or did you feel like you knew enough about each other's strengths and kind of weaknesses or areas for improvement that you would just figure out who did what in the business and also like what did the rest of the family have to say about this because you've got other siblings as well was anyone sort of against it or were they just like yeah go for it you two work really well together I think it was kind of a combination of both so essentially when we did start the business as sisters I mean I'll be honest to say that we probably didn't map out our roles to a T then as opposed to what we have done sort of over the last, say, probably the year or two. I think at this point in time, we've done a better job of carving out exactly who does what in the business. When we first started the business six years ago, I think we kind of already knew what each other's strengths were. Before we had Collective Closets, the clothing label, we already had some other small businesses and hobbies that Fatuma and I both did. And previously, I guess, to having Collective Closets, we also had other jobs that we've done. So Fatima's really well versed in supply chain. She's really well versed in logistics aspect of things. She's really good at numbers. She's really good at big picture things. And where my strengths really lie on is like the creative part of it, more like the fine tuning, the finer details of things, you know, sort of organising all the photo shoots, you know, even the selections of colours and fabrics and how that will end up in the end. So we kind of knew that, I would say, as far as we got at the beginning. And then as the business evolved and got bigger and got more demanding, it just really forced us to sit down, I think, year after year or collection after collection and really do our best to try and map out more clearer roles. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing is I feel like now six years, almost going on six years on, I feel like we've probably gotten to a place more so now where I can comfortably say I wear the creative director role, where Mm -hmm. Fatuma can comfortably say, She's the operations manager. So she essentially is the person that does all the production. She does all the back and forth with the seamstresses. She does all the back and forth with figuring out all the numbers and then she'll feed that back to me. And I think through the years, we've just gained so much more trust. Where in the beginning to do a photo shoot, even just picking out the concept, it had to be, we both had to be happy with it. Mm-hmm. Whereas now we don't have that time and that luxury and there's so much more trust with the both of us. So if... Batuma goes, this is the budget for a shoot. I'm able to take that budget, then organise our team of photographers, the makeup, and I'll present Batuma what I think the concept really roughly of the photo shoot should be. We essentially sign off of everything together, anything that's really big budgeted over a certain amount. Fatuma still has to come to me and we'll sit down and make those collective decisions. But a lot of the time she can go away and say, hey, you know, production-wise, this particular item did really well. And I think we should run X, Y, and Z numbers on it. And I'll sit down with her. She'll essentially sell it to me and I'll be like, that makes sense. So, yeah, so the roles through the years, I think we've done a better job at identifying what our strengths were. I definitely don't think at the beginning we thought that through. I think it's just been an organic process. And there's also been some highs and some lows. And there have also been a lot of sort of things that have happened along the way that haven't always been easy for us to deal with. I think we've done a relatively good job of being like, well, this is what you're really good at. Like any job that you'd have, why don't we give you that as your hat? It will be silly for me to try take on Excel spreadsheet. Till this day, Fiona, it's just <laughs> not my forte and I have no interest in it. So Fatuma can just take it and I'm fine with that. Yeah, so it gets better, I think, as well, identifying our roles as a business like throws more hurdles or more obstacles in our way. And there's some things we've just had to kind of adapt with, like the store. That's something that we've neither one of us have ever had in the past. But, yeah, and then we have able to kind of help navigate and help each other through, yeah, through that process. I think that takes such bravery, especially 
maybe even more so with a sister because you probably also want to go the extra mile to make them feel like, yeah, we're all getting, you know, your voice is just as important and all of that stuff. And so I think it's really good that you have identified those things because it can take, you know, years and years and years. Even people in business for 10, 20 years still don't necessarily have really clear delineations and it can cause such angst for people in the business, but also for people coming into the business, like new staff members, it can be quite confusing if there's not clear roles of who does what. Yeah. Well, it's still a bit of a work in progress. When you start a business, as you know, it takes a lot to sustain. Mm-hmm. And so I think the first few years it was sustained by passion. If something needs to be done, we'd both be up till two in the mornings onboarding our collection you know what I mean and so all of that admin because there's so much admin and all those little jobs you both have to do it to kind of get to that level I think that once you do it's almost perfect to be honest because I think it allows you both to work out what's required and for people that love that to actually take that on board because there are a lot of things that are really mundane about you know running a business yep Life that you, we can divide it between like the things that I'm really passionate about and what Lorinda's passionate about and then letting that person own that space. And because there's so many things to do as well, you don't have a lot of time to micromanage each other. Mm-hmm. You know, we're at the point where Lorinda just has to do her thing, I just have to do my thing, you know, anyone else that works with us has to do their thing and we all have to kind of work as a bit of an engine and so you're, you're forced to just kind of play to your strengths. Yeah, which is awesome. And what did your, because I know that, you know, you do have a big family and and it seems a very tight-knit family. What did your family think of you guys starting it? Or was it like you said before, Lorinda, you guys had already done businesses or you'd done things so they were just sort of used to it? I think they were probably used to it and I think it was really lovely just sort of looking back and thinking back at sort of some reactions from friends and family and it was almost that people were kind of waiting, like our family were kind of like, oh, this is just the next step for you guys, even though for us it was so scary and so daunting to come to them and be like, but you and I are really thinking about starting clothing line business and we're really serious about this and we just, yeah, this is what we want to do and then everyone else was like, oh, yeah, that's really cool. So it's almost like you're expecting like a, you know, oh, what are you guys doing? You know, you guys are so silly for doing this. This is going to be a complete disaster. So for us, I think the most beautiful thing was just seeing our siblings and our really close girlfriends and our partners as well just be like, oh, yeah, we were just waiting for you guys to finally, I guess, get your crap together and <laughs> and do it. Do you know what I mean? So that was really refreshing. At the same time, like my younger sister was just like, I hope you guys can just work together really well <laughs> and not kill each other in the process of doing it. But, yeah, we had so much support. Like even to this day, it blows my mind to think of our very first collection and our very first launch that I essentially was really just like got so many friends and so many family. It was a just beautiful art gallery. And, yeah, just all the love and support and all the encouragement. And, yeah, we've been really, really blessed, I guess, to have to have that. Yeah. And even if, I mean, that's it's fantastic that you have that. And I feel the same way about my family, very supportive. But even with that support, it's really difficult to start a business, especially a business in retail. Retail has been, you know, it's always been a a business that goes up and down, up and down, up and down. And a lot of people start in retail and, and and it falls apart. But it's quite another thing to even have that idea and have the support, but also action and execute that idea when you're getting stuff made on the other side of the world, which is what part of your business model is. And so you wanted to get items, and, and correct me if I'm incorrect, but you have your items made and the fabric designed in Kenya. Is that right? 
so it's all our suppliers. So it's, it's kind of worked both ways, actually. So you're, you're halfway right in the sense that when we first started the business, our suppliers were predominantly in Kenya, in Nairobi. That's for our winter, which we use the Maasai Shuka, which is the Czech fabrics that we like to be known for. And then we also have like the cotton fabric, which we call a kitenge, which we were sourcing through various channels. Mm-hmm. But the heart of our fabrics come from Nairobi, Kenya. And you're definitely right. Like starting your own business is just hard in itself. And then on top of that, when you add that extra layer where your suppliers are halfway across the world, and then with the Kenya like time zone, they're eight hours behind us. So mm-hmm. like essentially somewhere like now where we're we're having this discussion, they're just sort of waking up or sort of just in the mid sort of halfway through their day so that can be really difficult and essentially then you add like putting a child at bedtime and doing all those sort of mechanics and because that's the the role that I take onto the business and Fatima relies on me to kind of be on top of when our fabrics are arriving what the choices are what the selections are is our amazing guy Loton in Nairobi is he on top of the delivery then we have his son that also helps with aspects of the business and then I have my mother-in-law in the mix so there's quite a few hands that I have to contact in order to be able even to see what's available then to find someone to go and actually view the fabrics do like the pre-production stuff there for us and then we did actually have some of our production last winter we took some of our production in Kenya mm-hmm. and that was another hurdle within itself so we just wanted to sort of dip our toes in the water so to speak just to see what taking some of the production and celebrating the makers in Nairobi Kenya would would look like and that wasn't easy that was really really difficult and that's I guess a part of the business that we're still working on even six years in I wouldn't 100% say that it runs seamlessly there's Mm -hmm. still a lot of hiccups that happened and then also with the pandemic it's just caused a lot more I guess anxiety on our end to be able to get our fabrics in a timely manner expenses have gone up quite significantly. Kenya were in lockdown from, I think, from March up until two weeks ago. They were in really strict lockdown, so it was really difficult as well to be able to get our team to be able to go see the fabrics and not put them at risk. So things were really just halted with, yeah, with something like a pandemic and, yeah, and having our fabrics and suppliers halfway across the world. It's been really hard. But We've been able to manoeuvre it pretty well. Like there's been some stressful moments, but at the same time we've celebrated a lot of highs as well. And it's been amazing for Fatima and I also to have a team in Nairobi that we really, really trust. Because at the end of the day, we're sending quite a lot of money to like three different hands. And the people that we work with, we've only met once or twice. You know what I mean? And in person, I got to meet Loton, who's the amazing guy that actually helps me get all the fabrics from our supplier. So he's the person that, yeah, he does a lot of, yeah, so the groundwork in Nairobi and yeah, he's amazing. And I got to just have dinner with him this year, actually, when I was just there and met his family. And yeah, so it's like a real community for Fatuma and I that we've been, yeah, we've managed to build. Amazing. And part of what I love about Collective Closets is that you actually give back. So you work and, and you'll talk about this more, I guess, you have chosen a sort of charity or a group that you work with. And can you talk us through how you chose who to partner with and how it actually works. Because I know that lots of people start a business, myself included, doesn't have to be a product-based business, where they're thinking, well, I'd like to take a proportion of what we you know, earn or, or some other way to give back. But then sometimes when you look into some of these like charity submissions or guidelines or NFPs, it's like, oh, it's all too much work. I'll just mm-hmm. donate 
separately myself. How does it actually work with you? And what advice would you give to other people, say, listening to this who are like, yeah, I'd really like to do that, especially with what we've got going on right now with the pandemic? Well, I think for us, it's kind of, if I take it back, it's not really about business for us. I mean, from the conception of, of collective closets, you know, we're in Kenya, we understand like how amazing it is and all of these people around us giving. And like, we were just like, it made sense. It wasn't like, this is, will be good on, you know, good on the website. It was just like, this is what we're doing. We're mm-hmm. going to, we're going to have to find a way for us that we're taking to also give back. And so that was like straight conception of it. And then again, we were lucky because Lorinda's husband's mother, that's what she does for a line of work. So she was able to kind of like, you know, navigate us through different NGOs. And then, so she kind of presented a few and we told her exactly what we're looking for. And so when we first started doing it, it's changed a lot. We were like, we're going to do all this amazing stuff. And like you said, as you start to work out the logistics of it, we realise, A, this is not really benefiting or making the impact that we want it to, Mm -hmm. and B, it's not actually working from our side. Mm -hmm. So then we kind of then re-looked at it and we found a better way that we, regardless of whether we had collective closets or or not, Lauren and I both looked at each other and looked at, you know, who we were as people and said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to help through education and empowerment of women, we're going to try and seek, like, you know, donate or give funds to a, to a child, to a female, preferably, just because of just the way we run our business. Mm-hmm. We were just going to get them through high school. And we're like, this is what we're going to do, regardless of whether the business is successful or not. And I think that makes it a, re- a different story because it's not just about collective closets. It's just about this is what we're doing. This is who we're supporting. This is what, you know, when we get hurt school reports or when we get an update where we feel personally responsible. So I think that if you are starting a business and you want to do something, I think you've got to do it in the most authentic way that is for your business. And it, it might be just a donation. It might be a campaign or a percentage of sales for a period. And I don't think it's anyone's job to judge how you want to do it but I think it needs to make sense and it needs to enrich your business in the way that you think best fits because, you know, we do one thing but other businesses are giving millions of dollars and we're not going to hold ourselves. We're kind of like happy in what we've decided to do because we know that we're making a difference in the way that we can. Mm-hmm. And I think that I think that my advice to any business is just stay authentic to who you are. Pick, pick something if, if that's what you want to do pick something and don't like, you know, for us, if people find that out about us, we're really chuffed to have conversations about it. But if that also they don't know that about us, then that's fine. You know, like we know that our mission is to empower women and to, we know that education is the way to do it. And we really find that important. And so that's how we want to do it. But like I said, everyone can just do what they can. I think as well as like in this day and age, Fiona, where, you know, 10 years ago, Businesses didn't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. People wouldn't judge them or look at differently. You know, the business environment has changed and sometimes people feel like they don't they need to do something. And I think it's really hard as well. Like you're a small business, you know, there's lots of issues in trying to get to that next level. And, you know, you kind of need a bit of a grace period to understand where you're going to put your money, how you're going to spend it, how to be profitable in this space. So I don't think people should be beating themselves hard for not doing it in the way that looks like it's humongous. I think they just need to find something that feels really close to their heart if they want to do that and run with it and just do it in the most authentic way. 
Yeah, totally, totally agree. And even with the big businesses that seem like they're doing, you know, a huge amount, I've sat in on a lot of legal meetings with some of those businesses and it can take up to a year to get a charity partnership, even just the contract in place. And that's a whole year that maybe other things could have been happening, not necessarily always having to do this giant thing, like you just said. And I think, yeah, like you said, there's so many ways. I know with me, I have like online courses and online workshops and and live workshops and always there'll be three seats in there that are charity or not for profit or, or people that can't necessarily afford it right now. So there's all sorts of ways to give back. And I love that you, you didn't let, oh, we've got to do this big thing, get in the way of actually just taking some action. Yeah. And I definitely like what Fatuma said about us rethinking our initial strategy and also just thinking what would be sustainable. Because our first idea was to give school packs to as many children as we could through the sales of, you know, through our garments. And then when I went to deliver the packs, it was just like really disheartening because there were thousands of children at the school. So to watch all the other, you know, kids get left out that didn't get, you know, didn't get the supplies that we we would have wanted them to, it really also helped us just to kind of like re, you know, just to go back and recalibrate, so to speak, and just to rethink what our next strategy would be. and. Yeah, and the fact that we get to help support this young girl, Juliana, through school and whether or not collective closets is viable, if things through the pandemic don't work out, essentially Fatuma and I would still continue to help support her and that wouldn't stop and that's important for us. So, yeah. yeah. So just do what's authentic to you. Yeah, and your want to empower women has always been there, like, you know, from day one and I've worked, like I said before, I've worked with you guys on your business and it's so it's such a genuine passion. It's not just like a hashtag, you know, that some people use. <laughs> but in, in line with that empowerment and you've talked about education, but another thing that you guys have done from day one is you've championed diversity. So you've championed, you know, in your model selection, in the wide range of women that you feature on your blog and, and you've talked about before that, the latest collective conversations. There's such a diversity, not even just in, you know, what they look like or anything like that, but in terms of like you had scientists on there, <laughs> you had like a genetic person on there the other day or <laughs> I think you had a doctor. You just have, it's just diverse and you also had diversity in the size of the models that you work with and, of course, skin colour. Is this something that was intentional or is it just natural for you? Is it just we don't even think about it because that's just how we roll? How has that sort of played out for you? I think it's it's been a bit of both. I'd say it's been almost like a, a 50-50 where it was intentional in the sense that for two black girls to be making clothes that are, you know, that are African in their textiles. So we wanted to make sure that the women that were going to be able to buy the clothes felt included. Mm-hmm. So if you go way back into our really first collection, we used two models and that was intentional. So we used Emily, who is this like this beautiful Australian girl that is white. And then we had Debo, who is an African girl. So we wanted from the get-go, and this is where we say it was intentional, we wanted to just make sure that everybody knew that if you were going to buy collective closets, this was going to be a space for you where you were going to be included. We were going to do the best that we could to try and include, you know, colour, age, size, the best way that we knew how from the beginning. And then it was also natural for us because this is just, I guess, for Fatty and I, like who we surround ourselves with. So the women in our lives and our friends and our family and the workspaces that we've been in, we were able, I guess, from the like from very early on to have that real understanding that I think in order to have, especially the clothes, they're so personal. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And the idea of us just making it only for this type of woman or this type of ethnicity, it just wouldn't have worked for us because that's just not who we are. So we're very much like our circle of friends are just like so diverse. 
and we've traveled and and other things as well so that just helped I think diversify and just open our eyes to to so much more and I think also living in Melbourne being such a melting pot of so many beautiful women yeah it was just it made sense for us just to go down that pathway and yeah it's special for us and it's something that we embrace wholeheartedly and it's something that's very very authentic to us yeah and we just hope that we'll continue to to be even more inclusive we've just got some more amazing plans that are in the pipe works size ranges and all that sort of stuff and yeah so we just yeah we wanted to create a space that you just yeah you feel good about yourself whatever and another thing that we did also was really strong to us was that like we also could see in the fashion industry a bit of a deficit in how black women are representative so we also gave us a was really exciting for us to be able to depict them in the way that we knew that other black women in our lives and our circles were wanted to be representative so we were like it was kind of a good opportunity for us to look at you know all right we want it to be inclusive but when, when we are going to include everyone we want to make sure that they are the best of who they are and models would come on out shoot and we would champion them and they would feel like they weren't a token like oh you're just having a black girl they were like I feel really amazing and sexy and strong what we're doing that was really important for us to like you know we weren't trying to change the standards because we were trying to get people to see it from a different kind of point of view you know yep that we don't have to wear purple eyeshadow all the time or do such crazy gestures of art to represent black women they can just be hanging out looking regular but looking hot you know yep yep and we have talked about this offline about black lives matter and the resurgence of this and everything that you're saying right now you know like it's just you you do think it's 2020 why isn't this just stock standard for every every single company, especially fashion companies. And I've worked in that business for a long time. And that is where a lot of my career came from. And championing, I remember back at Fashion Journal days, like championing black models on our cover, which was around 2004, 2005. And it was still, you know, back then it was like, oh yeah, you know, why isn't this a thing? And now we're 15 years later and it's still the same conversation. What advice if any if you feel comfortable you don't have to but what advice would you give maybe to someone who's listening to this who's maybe running a fashion label and is white and hasn't for whatever reason been aware that they're not actually being that diverse is there kind of a step you know because you also don't want to I guess if you're white and you're running a fashion label and you realize right now god I've been an idiot and I have not been diverse at all you also don't like what you said have to have suddenly oh we've got a token and everything's gone the other way what advice would you give? Because definitely we want to see diversity, but we also don't want to see tokenism. No, definitely not. And I think that there's so much obviously to unpack with this, mm. with just that question alone. But if if you are a brand that is listening, that hasn't thought about diversifying your imagery or diversifying the woman or the people that are literally essentially around the corner or are really the representative of our community, then you really need to have a heartfelt conversation with yourself, first mm-hmm. and foremost. I think a lot of it just really comes back to you as a person because you are the person that's running your brand. And for it not to appear tokenistic, I think you need to have a conversation with yourself. You need to be honest, but then also then start doing the homework in order for it to, to just really be a place and a space that you want it to be inclusive. So it's never too late. 
Do you know what I mean? It's never too late. There's no reason why you can't start tomorrow. So have a real think about who your, your models are going to be, who you're casting, but also have a real think about who do you want also being part of your brand? Because mm-hmm. for me, when brands don't include women that look like myself or of a particular size, for me, you're telling me that I'm not, yeah, I shouldn't be buying your stuff or no, I shouldn't be purchasing into or buying into your product. So I would most likely steer away from that. So I think just having an authentic conversation with yourself as the founder of the business, if you've got more than one person, I think it's about time you've got your team together. And I think a lot of the time when you've got a really big team and you start talking to people within the team, then you might find that people probably wanted to put their hand up anyways to say, yeah, why don't we start, you know, diversifying our brand? So that's one aspect of things. And it also has to just be authentic. You know what I mean? It can't be, like you said, tokenistic. It just can't be a moment in time. It can't just be because, you know, a particular song or music or hip-hop culture dictates that that this is what's cool for the moment. You know, Black women or people of colour, we don't want to to be represented in a platform where it's just cool for the now. Mm-hmm. So if you're not doing it, like, honestly, like I, like I said, we could talk about it for, for, for forever. And also you don't want it to appear performative. I think you just need to do the homework first before you just go out tomorrow and book a model and be like, oh, my God, we need to get a black model. So call somebody and then it just falls short of the mark. So really be then thoughtful of what you, your intention is. You might even want to put out a disclaimer and say, like, we haven't really been inclusive in the past. You may use black models, but you may only use thin black models. So you might want to think of using women of just different age groups and women of just different sizes. So I think just having a really authentic conversation with yourself as the founder or the CEO or whoever's running the business and then talking to your team about how things need to change and how you're going to start including the greater community. That's what I would say for anyone that's listening, really just start to think about it and what's, yeah, what's true to you as a brand. Yeah. I think that it's a good idea to think about how you think it best represents your brand. Because when we talk about which is what is a big thing, is about like if you don't understand the intent and why you think a black girl would be perfect to represent your brand, then you probably shouldn't have one. That's the actual truth. Yeah, but it's the truth. Because if that person comes, like you want, you want the intent of that person that you're investing in and that face of your brand something for you to be really, really proud of. So I think that it's worth taking the time to understand that and understand how that will make your business better and what that will do than just doing it for the sake of it. So I do think that it is. It's in that kind of like thought process and intent and being conscious to understand because when the, the girls that represent the brand, when you do have someone that is the face of that and th- these women come to you, you also want them to feel really good in that space that yes it wasn't just an ad it was thought of it was intentional you're welcome in our space we champion you so it's not just one-sided mm-hmm. yeah and I think definitely I, I like what Fatuma just said but I think also if you're going to then make that statement you feel it's right for your brand make sure you if you're going to do it maybe your customers or whoever's looking at your ads or your you know, I don't know whatever it is that your, your product is aren't used to on your social media seeing a different face don't use that as then the catalyst to be like, we tried and we're not going to do it again because we've got a, you know, we've got a few unfollowers. And I've heard of brands doing this before where they've, they've, <laughs> they've tried and then they've had, you know, other people be like, or their customers be like, what the hell is kind of going on? You need to stand with the conviction. You know what I mean? And if you're going to lose some followers or you got, you are going to lose your customer, if it's come, if it's coming in an authentic place, then you need to be prepared to do that. Like Fatuma said, then don't do it if, this is not the pathway that you're going or it's just not going to now just be 
an innate thing. It's not going to just be for a campaign. It's not just going to be for a moment or for a post or just for a particular movement going on. So I'll add, you know, my black square or I'll just, mm-hmm. I'll do it for them. That You have to really, like, yeah, commit to it. And like you said, it's 2020. So if you're listening and you haven't got with the program, I'm really being really kind here, get with the program. <laughs> with the program and it's so it's inclusive on so many levels I mean Black Lives Matter is 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 at the forefront at the moment it, it you know and it keeps coming up and it damn right should come up and it should be at the forefront all the time but it's also ageism there's also ableism you know we just don't see we just don't see enough diversity in 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 general like even down to you know, if you sell scarves, why are they always just around the neck, you know, rather than as a headscarf or as a hijab, as other ways that a scarf can be used if, if you're looking at your audience and how they actually use it. And even with age, there's an incredible magazine out of the UK, but the woman who runs it is in Sydney and it's called Renaissance Magazine and it is all, every woman in there is over 40. So it's beautiful and just a celebration of, and they have incredible fashion and incredible photographers. And even the fact that that is still such a niche thing and it's like, oh, God, we don't die. I mean, I've turned 40. I'm, not, I'm still here. <laughs> like, still here. So, yeah, I think for sure people should be, if they haven't already, they really should be shaking up why. Why haven't I done this and what am I scared of and, and really yeah. uncovering those fears. And like you said. 100%. And also I think that, you know, in this moment, I think we're, like it's such a plus at the moment to have a business right now where it's not even about a location because no one can be at a physical location. So your product can be a global brand without even really strategically trying to be that. And so, I mean, as you're, as you're you know, Luna and I was thinking, oh, my God, we want to have that customer and that customer. You can kind of be that. You can kind of appeal to a lot if you already are thinking about it, you know. Mm-hmm. You have to be, like, staking your way to the U.S. or, you know, you can already be thinking about it because when you're on Instagram you're looking at all brands from all around the world and you're looking at content that's beautiful from everywhere from all different types of people Mm -hmm. yes oh my god we could talk about this for hours and hours and everyone should be talking about this for hours and hours on another point we have obviously connected on lots of levels and you guys are just incredible women and and just beautiful warm souls and I'll never ever forget when my mum died suddenly in 2017, I think we met for a drink and I think we just met about work stuff and you guys had found out about mum and you bought this beautiful plant and you talked all about your mum, losing your mum, Stella, and you were just so gracious in your advice and just generally being there for me. And again, you have been like that again as I've had a baby this year. Sorry, last year, he's just turned one. I should remember that. But also, you know, Fatuma, you had a two-year-old son and we talked about that a little bit at the beginning. Arlo and Lorinda, you had Isaiah, Isaiah, Isaiah? Which Isaiah. Isaiah, <laughs> like 10 months ago. But how have you both coped with motherhood and business? And I should put a disclaimer that I understand people will be like, well, you don't ask men that. But at the start, I really think that it is the woman that a lot of it falls on in caregiving at least, especially if you're breastfeeding and other stuff like that. So how have you both coped running a business while also having very young children? Oh, goodness. Gosh, I think the good thing is, well, we've both had, I think, such different experiences because the businesses, our business has been at different, I guess, stages when we've both had our children. So for instance, when Fatuma had Arlo, we hadn't had, we didn't have the store. And now we've got my little man and having the stores added another complexity that I think we just couldn't prepare for. There's just, yeah, so much there to unpack with having a store. And then we 
whilst I was on maternity leave from the store, we had two employees that Fatuma was managing. So essentially, I guess while I was on maternity leave from the business, Fatuma was went from having her right-hand man, which was myself, to then having to run the business and really everything that was divided into two now really fell on one person. And as much as I really thought that I was still going to be part of the day-to-day runnings of the business, it honestly, having a child has absolutely blown my mind to <laughs> to the amount just it takes from you. Like every inch of you is taken like every day. And I, like I said, I could honestly talk about this all day. And I actually don't think it's a bad question to, to ask because I think it's really important if there are women out there that are listening who might be pregnant or might be thinking of having a family in whatever capacity that looks like for you. It's just good to talk to other women that have been through through it, whether it's this stage or another stage. I think it's really good for us all just as women just to be open about some of the challenges that you might face. I definitely would say just brace yourself, but also just do your best just to enjoy it while you can. So some of the challenges that I found was trying to be, I guess what I quote unquote, whatever that is, a good mum to my son and trying to enjoy all the moments. But also then I just felt really kind of, not that I was left out, but I really felt that I wasn't helping. And I really couldn't be part of it. So Fatuma needed emails answered on a Monday. She didn't need them in two weeks' time. So by then I'd call back and be like, oh, you know what's happening? And she'd be like, sweetie, that's finished. Like, we're on to the next thing. So that was really difficult for me to kind of feel like, oh, my goodness, where's where's my priority? I really want to help with the business. But end of the day, like, I'm really not sleeping and I'm not even the best version of myself. So not being the best version of myself, I found myself being really snappy, irritable, and that's not what you want representing your business. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You want to be the at least to an extent the best version of yourself. So I found it really, really difficult. And I think we both probably didn't anticipate it for me to have been out. So I was out for probably a good nearly four or five months, to be honest. Took me a really long time to get into my groove. And then it's kind of like just slowly by slowly, I kind of got into a pattern of putting him to sleep and that that was like probably, yeah, five months old. He was sleeping really good during the day. He would give me two hours and then I would rest during the day and not really do still much of the business during the day. So I tried to be almost a day ahead. So I would start doing all my work once I put him to bed at 7.30 at night. It really worked well for me just to be in bed or be in a space where someone wasn't needing me for a few hours. And then I'd work on the emails and then I'll try to be on top of them. And the next day I could have a conversation with Petuma in the evening about the stuff that happened the day before, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was, yeah, it's been quite a ride. But what about you, Fatima? I guess I'm really, really, really different people, even though we're sisters. And to be honest, I did, for me, it was a total opposite because I kind of did find being a mum a little bit more mundane than I thought it was go- I was going to be. I thought it was going to be like, you know, a bit more like, yeah, I love this. Turns out that I was like, Where, why are customers buying that top? So I was like from the get-go, was really easy for me to find like my groove in the business and working and I mean we didn't have a physical store and we didn't have like the business was a bit more like it wasn't as busy so it was easier for me to be able to find my feet in the way that we I worked as well but yeah I definitely you know realized that the beginning of infancy was a bit boring and so I could throw myself plus I did have a really good baby so he made it really easy where I could do hours of work and still kind of crack on basically with what I was doing. And I'm not trying to, trying to, I did have some really hard days. And I think that was like four months in when I was feeling great, then he had a really bad sleep regression. 
And so then I had to reprioritize. But I guess for any mother out there, I would just really say that, you know, it's your business. One of the best things about owning a business is that it's yours and that the work day and the work week doesn't have to look like the traditional sense anymore. I mean, there are obviously going to be key things like talking to suppliers between nine to five. There are definitely things that are going to have to, you know, be prioritized. But outside of that, you can really work on your term and your time. And so, you know, if your day kind of has to shuffle from, I remember it used to be like seven till 12 midnight, that worked for me. And I could still get a good chunk of work done once I reshuffled everything and worked out that why am I trying to fit a nine to five job into a mat leave, you know. A 24-hour job. Yeah, and that's what's really empowering about owning your own business, that you get to kind of set those parameters. I understand when the business becomes a lot bigger that you can't do that. Like right now, it's like, Lorinda, we have to do it. It's not not about whether, you know, customers are understanding, but they're not going to be that understanding. So it changes. But when you can and when it's applicable, you can kind of do it at your own hour. Yeah, and I like the fact that Fatima said at the end of the day, we're, yes, we are sisters, but we're also very, two very different people. And I mean, we still have both very strong, very good work ethic. But I just remember after not long after Fatima had had her baby, she was still in the hospital after like day three. And I was obviously doing all the runnings and she would be like, okay, so brief me, what's happening? And I'm like, what? She's like, yeah, I want to know. Like, you know, Caitlin had bought a top. Have you re- like, have you done all the returns for that? Have you done this? And I was like, Jesus Christ. And I remember telling her, I said, when I do have my child, I will not be like this. Because she just, I don't want to paint a picture of this glamour that she just bounced back, but she genuinely, honestly, Fiona, for her, like her and Arlo's activities would be basically going to the post office. You know (laughs) what I mean? So they didn't live very far from the post office and they would pack all the orders and she would, she would do all the running. So she still ran that aspect of the business. She still packed all the orders in whatever time. I don't know when she was packing these orders. I didn't ask. At the end of the day, they got delivered to the customers and I was happy with that. So, yeah, I think your baby may also just kind of give you a few allowances that, yeah, like they're just two different boys as well. So yeah. and right, we're going through two different phases at the moment. So, yeah, so it's, it's just make of it what you will. So don't put too much pressure on yourself. It's your own business. Yeah, I think that's really key not to put pressure on yourself. When I had my son, we were in London and I was on maternity leave because I was working for Audible, but I took on a bunch, I was working part-time for them. So I had a bunch of part-time sort of freelance, like I was writing a book for a company and I was doing other stuff. And I feel like, yeah, with Levi, for some reason, I was just like, yep, get up, have my green juice, go for a run with the pram, <laughs> come back, do all this work. Like, this is great. And I had a really tight mother's group who we literally we were just texting last night. We still text every couple of days after eight, nine years, eight years. But then with Elio, when he came last year, I was like, yeah, you know, I'm, I've, I've launched my online course. I've got money in the bank. I've got, you know, group coaching starting. And I had thought that because I had group coaching starting three months like when he'd be three months old, I was like, yeah, we'll have three full months together and then I'll only be working a couple of hours a week. And then, you know, he came out totally different to Levi. Like he came out, he never (laughs) breastfed off me. So I was pumping 24-7 and then he had to go to hospital, have surgery very early on. Like it just, you just don't know what baby you're going to get. Like, and they're not good or bad. It's just, you just don't know what the experience is going to be like. So even with your best laid plans, you just don't know what it's going to happen. 100%. Yeah. And so you've talked about a couple of things and obviously like, you know, depending on personality or type of baby or all sorts of things, but what or who has helped you 
with the juggle of not just necessarily motherhood, but just the juggle of business in general? Like are there tools or podcasts or people or, or books you'd recommend to other people listening who are running a small business or potentially, you know, running a small business while juggling a baby or they're pregnant or even just they're homeschooling young kids? You know, and it can be dads too or, or other parents that aren't necessarily the mum. So, yeah, we've been really lucky as far as little gadgets and tools that we use. WhatsApp has been a really big tool for more so myself. And even actually we've got another one that we use just for the girls in store to be able to keep us updated through the day-to-day runnings of the store whilst for Tumor and I are running errands. So with myself and WhatsApp, it's literally the quickest, fastest way that I'm able to, to have conversations with our team in in Nairobi, Kenya. So just before we got into the having a chat with you, Fiona, I was able to ask Omar, our freight guy, what's happening with our goods. And he was able to give me like a really quick run through of what's happening. And I guess being on the go as well with the baby, I find that really easy. The one that I absolutely love and one that we used quite often, this was a little hot tip from you, Fiona, was Planoly. So right. it was a really good tool that we used for scheduling our social media, especially our Instagram. So for Tumor and Isabella, we're able to take on, I guess, take on that load. It just helps you schedule out your posts if you want it to be like a day or a week or a month in advance. You can sit and work on it for a day and then it will schedule out all your posts. They've been the biggest tools that I say with my responsibilities within the business that I find really helpful for Tumor. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of other ones. Like I'm a big Excel kind of girl because I do all the production stuff. And even though I'm not like a, I can do a V lookup, but it's still, I like to know everything through that. I'm not like, you know, a whiz kid, but I can do the basics. I think Lorinda and Isabella, they, they're very visual people. So Dropbox has been like, you know, a big thing, even with just sending out mood boards and really getting other people to understand what the feel and tone of what we're doing is. Being sharing images has been really big. But for me more, like I'm a big listener. I think that I love to hear about businesses and what people are doing. So I'm a big like second life mm-hmm. kind of, uh, I love that every week. I'm like, why isn't, where's the next episode? And even like a new podcast that I've been listening to called Partners. And it makes a lot of sense because Lauren and I, even though we are sisters and we get along, you know, we're still trying to perfect that working together sometimes as sisters and in partners. And so listening to this podcast about people how they work together, the difficulties and, you know, elevating your business through joint partnership is always really interesting for me. But also like, you know, getting your emails on a Sunday. <laughs> sure, I'm not just saying this. It, it is because at the end of the day, I mean like, you know, Lauren and I have been lucky to have a lot of resources. We've had really great mentor. We've done some mentorships and done like the Australian, what is it called, Lorinda? The Australian Fashion Council. Yeah, we did their their mentoring program for emerging designers. And it's great to be able to go, oh, my God, I've got a problem. Are we the only one that has it? Why are we the only one? And just look at all of these kind of tools and information that kind of sometimes you're not even thinking about it. You get an email and you're like, what are you doing with your social media? I'm like, what are we doing with our social media? what is your customer wanting you're like what is my customer wanting it's true because sometimes you can get lost in all of the chores and all the things that need to happen and sometimes you can kind of easily lose sight of why you started and what your core ethos and how you want to run it and so if you've always got these people and a team and you know inspiration you can always hone in and always ask yourself when you're having these difficult times is but what why did we start this And it's easy when you have all these, like, you know, 
places to go. And it's not easy to build it up, but they're all there. Like literally even going on to the small business Victoria when COVID happened, Mm -hmm. resource that I didn't even know was that good, you know. things like that I was like oh my god what's available who else is in this predicament what can I do to make our store safe and customers feel like that space is great and it was just a small thing that someone sent me and it really kind of was able to steer us in that right direction so yeah every email and like anyone that you feel is really inspiring you should definitely like email them and even if it's just a fangirl email or you know or just a coffee I think it's good to have that those resources available Mm. yeah and we're just so lucky now like when I was growing up way back (laughs) in the day because I'm so old I did it like not an internship but my best friend at school her dad ran and still runs a clothing factory in Brunswick in Melbourne and so I learned how to one summer I just did some you know I did like I learned how to cut patterns and I learned how to cut sort of clothing and to trim fabrics and stuff and when I think of that business, like he was killing it in the 80s and he was doing all the production for like Calvin Klein and, and Meyer and all the big retailers here. And I just wonder like, how did you even run a business? Like I remember, I still, I still know his number off by heart, his like landline <laughs> number. And he still runs this factory on a landline number. Like yeah. he, I'm like, wow. Because like, I'm like, yeah, like we just have so many things at our fingertips now with the internet and resources and like you said, government resources, and you just wonder, how did people do this before? <laughs> how did they make successful businesses without all that stuff at their fingertips? Yeah, and once you do get onto a good thing, I think it's really amazing for everyone needs to just nurture that and really understand it because even when you think you know your business the best, someone you do get an email and it makes you really think about how you can take it to that next level or things that you're not considering. Yeah, totally, totally, totally. And so you mentioned before that you had mentorships and you did the Fashion Council of Australia stuff. Have you done any other courses or anything like that? Even, I don't know, any, anything else to do with, like you talked about V lookups before, which made me laugh my head off because I love Excel as well. But have you done any kind of courses on even like zero, like or bookkeeping or anything else that you've had to do for the business? Well, originally when we started the business, we thought it was going to be really like something that we wanted to do. I actually did do a small business course and to be honest, like I've used like 10% of it (laughs) because it's the truth. But what it did give me, because I wanted to make sure that what we were doing or, you know, my understanding, I do have a business degree like as well to, you know, buffer that up. But like I think sometimes those big degrees you find it hard to understand it in a small business running when you're literally doing everything. Yeah. So I did this small business course to kind of just get me to understand what I was really signing myself up for. And there's lots of things that I found really, really useful. But then also like in that kind of setting, there are so many other like apps like Zero or QuickBooks that kind of help in that. Mm-hmm. Thing. But also a really good accountant is really where you want to be. You know what I mean? I think that it's really good to understand what you're getting yourself into and it's good to have a grasp of, you know, what it takes to run a business. You know, there's lots of mistakes that we've made is because we didn't kind of follow the fundamentals. Mm -hmm. (laughs) In a plus, because if we looked at the fundamentals, we probably wouldn't have started the business. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's true. It's like, oh, if you have that cash flow and bring in that and pay for that, Lauren and I would have been like, oh, when we, we can't do that. 
And so I think it's good to know and it's also good to, when you get to a certain level, understand that that needs to be a priority and that's why it was really good to kind of sit with you and have, you know, some sessions where we understood, okay, we actually want to be a viable business. What's our calendar looking like? What are we doing in September? And start to understand how to keep that engine going. Yeah. So I think those are the things that are a crucial, not at the start, I don't think necessarily, but I need to be thought of, you know, two or three years in. Yeah, definitely. And I think also having someone like, so when you talk about mentorships, and I think she'll probably blush a little bit, but having someone like Karen from Radical, yes. Oh. So we met her like seriously as these two, you know, sisters with their little hobby <laughs> business. And we kind of remember how we met her, but we got in touch with Kieran and literally like for the last six years, we, you know, we were in touch with her still. And we kind of look at her like that bigger sister who's running such a successful business. And she's just been so open with us. And she's someone that we feel really comfortable with ringing with a problem. And she always, you know, she'll just kind of check in or she'll stop in store or just kind of ask us what's going on. And for someone to be able to, just before like, the store opened, she was like, I want you girls to come in store. We're going to sit down and we're going to crunch some numbers. And I remember her just sitting there with me, so patient and literally going, okay, if you want your store to be viable, this is what you need. These are the numbers you need to crunch. So she mm-hmm. helped us just crunch some really just, just general numbers. And, you know, I went away with Fatuma and we both sat down and it was just like, not a lot of people give you that information. Do you know what I mean? And I think Fatuma and I always, really big on paying it forward. So if you're a business that's listening, you know, don't hold all that information to yourself. You know, if there's someone that's knocking at your door, like Fatima says, sends you a fan girl or man text or an email, just try help out as much as you can. You might not necessarily give them all the nitty gritty of your business, but I think just being surrounding yourself with people that can just point you in the right direction and they feel really help, like happy to help. Yeah. And we always try to, to hopefully do that with other people as well. So yeah, Kieran's been absolutely amazing. Oh, yeah, she's a radical yes. I love her business. Yeah. I actually just literally bought one of her bags last week and love oh, it. Oh, amazing. But, yeah, she's going to come on to this podcast. Oh, yay. Oh, she'll be amazing. She is amazing. And I think that what you said is true, like just reach out. Just, you know, most people, I always think my dad used to always say people are people, most aren't jerks. Or he wouldn't say jerks. He used to say like most are, most are kind or something. But I always say people are people, but most aren't jerks because they aren't. Like if you reach out, whether it's an editor, whether it's another business owner, and like you said, they might not be here are my financials, but they're more than likely going to be like, yeah, great. We can have a chat. I can help you for like 20 minutes over coffee or, or something else. So yeah, I think that's a really good point and she's amazing and I hope she doesn't blush when she listens to this. <laughs> you are six years in and like you said, you've had highs, you've had lows, you had challenges, you've overcome things. But if you were looking back, what's one thing that you would have done differently if you were starting out now? Oh, goodness. We talked about this earlier and I said for myself, I think that I probably would have said, I think I would have said to Fatima, let's sit down and just submit our roles earlier I think it would have just saved us a lot of time and a lot of like heartache and tears you know what I mean like what you said before it's not that you want to micromanage your partner that you work with so I think essentially by sitting down and going what do you think your strengths are this is what I think my strengths are how about we just sit down and give you those as responsibilities and I think because before a lot of the lines were a bit blurred so when things kind of fell apart or someone didn't do something having those lines a bit blurred will just amount to a bit of a, but you said you were going to do this, but you said you were going to do that. Whereas now it's like, well, I didn't do that because I know that I was responsible for that. And we've been lucky to still be the best of friends 
you know, six years on. But I think just knowing what we've been through and all those ups and downs, I would have said, let's sit down earlier. And also, like, just drawing a line in the sand as far as boundary. So knowing when we do clock off, because a lot of people, maybe they know this or they wouldn't, but Fatima and I really talk about our business, honestly, 24-7. Like, there's no day where we don't. And I know it's just part of having a small business, but sometimes it can just be a lot. There's no days off. You're getting phone calls that we talk at midnight, we talk at 11 o'clock, we talk at 8.30 in the morning, 7 o'clock, 6 o'clock. And sometimes it's just good to say, you know what, we're actually going to have a day off where, you know, on Sundays, so Sundays now are where I don't talk about the business unless the shop is burning. That's the only time I want to be contacted. And for Fatuma, that's a Monday. So I also know that that's just her time where she gets to come home with her family after a really long day with homeschooling and whatnot. And that's her time with her family. So I shouldn't be calling her about something that can wait for a Tuesday. So maybe that's the conversation that I will, and yeah, that's something that I would have did differently. Oh, Fatuma? Yeah, uh, look, look, I would be different. I mean, like, I think that I need, we needed to have those ups and downs to really get into the crew. <laughs> <laughs> that's my thing. But I think more about what you were talking about is maybe, you know, outsourcing and looking at, like, trying not to do everything yourself when you know, like, yeah. You know, you don't have an accounting degree. Like, how are you going to get it? Like, yes, you can have these help you. But, like, if you don't know tax law, you just don't know tax law. <laughs> so I think maybe me is more about, you know, outsourcing when you can because I think that we live in a really amazing business world where at the moment is you don't need to have 40 staff. Yeah, mm-hmm. you have really good freelancers, people that you can connect with to kind of get your business to that next level without having to like literally be out of like, you know, sell your home for that, you know, and understanding when it is a, a good time to bring someone else in and say, you know what, this, we, why are we fighting about this? We both don't have the expertise. Why don't we talk to this person? And why don't we do that? I think that is anything I would do differently. Yeah, that would have saved us a lot of heartache. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you're both laughing in that laugh. like <laughs> <laughs> Because there's so much more to it, Fiona. <laughs> I, think, yeah, I totally agree with both of those things. And if you are listening, two websites that I think you should check out based on what Lorinda and Fatuma have said is the first one is 16personalities.com and that's a personality type quiz. It's one that I often give clients or in my workshops with people because of that exact thing. So even if you don't have a partnership as such, like you two, you might do like collaborations. And I did a collaboration, many collaborations with one particular business friend who I'm still friends with. I still hugely respect and admire, but we got to the end of the first thing that we'd worked months on together and we're both kind of annoyed at each other. And it was not in a like angry way, but it was sort of like, oh, well, I would have I would have thought that way and it's like I would have thought X and I think Y kind of thing and so we actually did a personality test and we just are built differently like you know we're just motivated by different things and so we hadn't done that before working together and I think now that we know that about each other we were able to then collaborate on other things and be like that's how you're going to approach it and this is how I'm going to approach it and also we were able to be much more clear on what do you want out of this like what's your personal objective and what's mine and let's get those on the table so that neither one of us feels like the other one is doing them over kind of yes that 16 personalities is the first one and then exactly what you said about outsourcing and the website that's really good for that is Upwork it's a website where you can find freelancers all around the world and you can literally put in, so this is where I found my virtual assistants, most of the uh, three out of the four, and you can put in like my business is run on Squarespace and Kajabi and so you can put in must-have Squarespace and Kajabi knowledge and so you can literally find 
the right person, you can interview them. And also, you know, it's like a reviews website. So you can see how many jobs they've done, how much they've earned. You can see literal testimonials from people and you can actually contact those people as well to be like, did they do this? What were they like? So it's a really good tool because I definitely think as soon as you can afford to outsource, you should outsource. hundred percent. I think that a lot of people are under the impression that it costs a lot to outsource as well. You're right in this website. I haven't used it myself, but it is about finding someone that, you know, maybe you look at it and you work out what their worth is because at the end of the day, it's one of those things where you could be up all night trying to learn one thing mm-hmm. or you talk to someone and they, they could do it in 20 minutes. And one of them takes a lot of energy and yes, you did it at the end, but even then, did you do it to the, like, you know, the best, the most effective way? And so if you have a chance to just start to have those conversations with people, you are going to be better for it. And you're also going to have, you're going to put your energy in the areas that you're best suited for, I think. Yes, 100%. I say all for outsourcing when you can. And even like on that point about it being, you know, not as expensive as you think, like there's another great tool called Use60 and I built my website on Squarespace. Paige Brunton is like an incredible resource of information about Squarespace in the US, but I built it based on stuff that she'd taught. And then, and then I spent months trying to like fix small things like the padding between words. And then I was like, how do I fix this? And then I went to Use60 and they connected me with this guy in Canada who was literally able to change, do it all in 15 minutes and they charged a dollar per minute. So I was like, oh my God, for $15, I literally <laughs> months of my life trying to figure out. And you're totally right. It's just about accepting. I am not a website developer. Like I can build yeah. a basic website, but yeah, it's so yeah, choose your battles, I guess. <laughs> so <laughs> what is next for Collective Closets? Like where can people connect with you and what's next? And I know it's hard to make plans right now. We're in the middle of the second lockdown and we're all in Melbourne. But what what is next for you guys? Well, I think that weirdly, like I said, I think that the last two months, three months has been a bit of a whirlwind for us. And it's kind of opened up the doors to like all the possibilities. So weirdly, like we're so excited to, you know, we're starting a new collection that kind of drops in November, summer. We're thinking about all the ways we can connect with customers. I mean, the world's a bit crazy at the moment, but like, you know, we'd love doing collective conversations. When we're talking about doing that in store and having people in there, doing a bit more workshops when obviously when time permits and obviously when the environment changes with COVID. But weirdly, through this and understanding what, through this like break, we've kind of understood what people want from us and what we're excited to do and how to connect with our customers. So we've probably been the opposite where we've like, oh my God, we're going to do this and that and this and this. Once lockdown, you know, ends, let's do all these things (laughs) where, you know, and I think that that's a really nice position to be in to understand that, you know, there's a value when you really connect with your customers and, you know, when people value what you're saying, it's really empowering. So for us, definitely, yeah. I think that when people sign up to our newsletter, they'll see a lot of different initiatives coming through. There'll be workshops in the future, obviously, and different talks that we can get to, but also just looking at collective conversations and, you know, opening your eyes to other artists and other powerful women in business is also really exciting for us, just putting other people on a, on a platform that are doing really amazing things. So I think that that's for us. I think that that will take us to the end of the year. And then hopefully after that, it's just like world domination. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Of course you're not kidding. You guys are going to take over the world. Fiona, 
Are you still recording? Am I allowed to like divert for a minute? Of course. <laughs> well, you know how you were saying about courses. One of the ones I did want to mention, and I couldn't remember what it was called. You know how we saw you teaching at I can't General remember assembly. Yes. I wanted to say that like there are always courses available. Like, you know, we went to General Assembly and Rune and I went to two courses on different things to do with business. And I thought that that would be a really good kind of space to like, you know, to throw people into. Yeah, General Assembly is amazing and they're all over the world and they do a lot of free sessions as well. So, you know, if people are like, well, I can't afford a course or I haven't started my business or I'm not making a huge amount of profit, they do an amazing amount of free business sessions. They do panels and then they do some paid ones and and the ones that I've taught, you know, they might be like 30 bucks for an evening session or 180 for a full day, all day workshop. So, definitely one to check out and like I said they're all over the world so I'll definitely put General Assembly in the show notes so you can look at the URL for that. Yes I reckon that was one of the really good kind of resources that you can go and it's not enough like it's a couple of hours and it just opens your mind to different concepts and different things that you've never even thought about. Yeah yeah I mean I'm just always surprised at how many different things they have and even myself as like a teacher there even I've met with other teachers, like literally I'll be making a tea and they're making a tea before their session. And there was a guy called Simon Mathenet and he's from Paris. I think he's back there now. And he's like an SEO expert. And so he was just giving me all this great SEO advice and everyone's just really friendly and open and they're there to learn whether they're a teacher, whether they're, they're the student, whatever. Yeah, even the students, like you bump into so many diverse businesses and people have all these ideas and different energy levels and you're literally feeding off everybody. You're like, oh, my God, that guy is really excited. I want to be like that. I thought that was, we went twice and I was just like, oh, my God, we need to come here once a week. (laughs) (laughs) It was really good. Oh, good one. I'm sure they'll love that plug general assembly but yeah so people can connect with you and like you said they can sign up to your newsletter and that's just at collectivecloset.com.au and then on instagram which you guys are on all the time it's more so lorinda is that right i'm always messaging you guys and then i'm like oh i'm talking to <laughs> who i'm talking to it's lorinda most of the time and that's at it is. our handle is just collective closets and you'll most likely get me Okay, awesome. (laughs) Any other kind of parting words that you want to leave people with or any kind of last-minute bits of advice? Oh, mine will be just don't be scared to get started. I think for Truman and I took a really long time to get really warmed up into just thinking of our business less of a hobby and more of just a business. I think if you just go in with that really strong mindset, yeah, not to be deterred. And sometimes you can get easily intimidated by others in that space. I think if you're just passionate about what you do, I know that sounds really cheesy, but also if you're just really passionate about what you do, and I think if you just believe in your product, and I think for Truma and I, I, I personally think that we've just done a good job of just staying in our own lane and just doing the best that we can. And yeah, I think that's the advice that I've got, just stay in your lane. Yeah. And also in saying that, Florinda, is you don't have to do everything at once perfectly. You know, yes. we're trying to get our packaging right. And we're okay with that because the rest of the stuff that we're doing we think is amazing. And so once we get our packaging 100% perfect, then we're going to be like we're going to feel so much better. But as well as we know that the product itself stands, you know, for itself and like the packaging is obviously something important. But right now that's not where our focus is. It's about really creating an amazing dress or a pair of pants that women feel really happy with. And then that comes a little bit later. So you don't have to do everything right now. You can just do the best that you can 
and the things that you do that you want to focus on do really well and always know that like what you're working towards so we know that our packaging is a like so we're not sitting here like oh have you seen our packaging we know that that's something that was always a work in progress but we know that once we can address it it's going to be amazing so that's my advice you don't have to do everything because I think that sometimes people get lost in it million things to do in your in your list of starting a business and you know you the way we were start is this is our budget this is where we're going to stay and this is what we're going to focus and put all of our money in and then the rest of it will come as it comes and we'll always strive for improvement Mm -hmm. and that's really what that's where our goal is there Awesome. Well, it's been such a pleasure as always to chat to you both. We could just keep recording. It's been so late. All right. It is getting so late. It's nine o'clock. We better go. Thank you so much. You guys are amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, how amazing are those beautiful sisters and business owners? I just love how warm they are, how honest they are. And Oh, I could just literally talk to them all night, but we did have to finish that up. We all had to get back to our families and real lives. But yeah, I would love to know what you most took away from that. So please let me know. You can hit me up on Instagram at my daily business coach. You can also hit up Fatuma and Lorinda at Collective Closets on Instagram and do get in there. Do tell them what you found most interesting from the interview because they are just the warmest people and they will definitely get back to you. And if you are interested in going and checking out more about their brand and perhaps having a little shop, go and check them out at collectiveclosets.com.au. But yeah, like I said, I would love to know what you took away from that. For me personally, I absolutely love how open they are to discussing things like diversity and giving really great tactical advice for perhaps people who have not been using a diverse range of models or have not necessarily looked at their policies or looked at the ways that they can truly go out and be a diverse and inclusive company. The other thing that I loved and that's not often spoken about, especially when there are partners in a business, whether they are siblings, whether they're best friends, whether it's a husband-wife team, whatever, is that it doesn't always work perfectly. It doesn't always, it's not always rainbows and everybody gets along 24-7. I loved that they actually discussed what wasn't working about that. And they also talked about how they wish they had sat down at the start and really nutted out who is responsible for what and what are your strengths, what are my strengths, and how can we play to those both for the benefit of the business as a whole. I'm often working with partners in business coaching. And one thing that I suggest that they always do is to go on to 16personalities.com. I'll make sure that we link to that in the show notes. But basically, it's an online quiz that looks at personality types. And I definitely think even you could be with somebody who, you know, is your partner in life and you think that you know everything about them, they know everything about you. But actually, doing this personality test brings out things like how do you like to be managed? How do you like to work in partnership? Where are your strengths and weaknesses in terms of your career and your work? And I think it's really important to go and do that, even if you don't have a partner in your business, if it's just you, to go and really have a look at what is my personality type and how does that help or hinder the things that I'm trying to achieve in my business? So yeah, I absolutely love that conversation with Lorinda and Fatuma from Collective Closets. As always, you can get the full transcript and show notes and all the URLs for everything that we talked about over at mydailybusinesscoach.com forward slash podcast 
slash 22, as in number 22, because it's episode 22. Hit subscribe if you'd like to make sure that you don't miss out on any future interviews that I do with amazing small businesses across the globe, as well as my short tip and longer coaching episodes. Bye for now. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the My Daily Business Coach podcast. If you want to get in touch, you can do that at mydailybusinesscoach.com or hit me up on Instagram at mydailybusinesscoach.com.